Welcome to the Imago Day Community Podcast. Hey, Imago Day. It is so good to be with you this Sunday. For those who are gathering uh, at home, worshiping online, welcome. We are so thankful for you. Uh, today, we're wrapping up our series on forgiveness, freedom through forgiveness. And the idea behind it is the belief that while 2020 and 2021 have so many things that are happening that are outside of our control, the one thing that we can do is we can lean into the spiritual freedom that God has for us. And so as we wrap up talking about freedom through forgiveness today, uh, next Sunday we're going to start a series on the book of Colossians, which is a phenomenal book. And I hope you study it, read through it this week in preparation, really looking at this uh the miracle that our life is Christ, right? That is what spiritual maturity is. And God is inviting us into the depths of living into uh, the person of Jesus. And so we're, we're stoked about that. Read through that this week. Um, today, turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 18. And I want to talk about today what practic what it looks like practically when people sin against us or we sin against people. And I also want to look at the power that Christ has given us to forgive other people. Matthew chapter 18, and let's look at verses 15 through 20. Uh, Jesus is teaching them about forgiveness. And he says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Now, uh, in many ways, this is talking about a brother or sister that is in sin. But the same would go for those who sin against us. And how do we deal with, with fractured relationships? How do we deal with people who are uh, sinning against you personally? And Jesus gives them an interesting uh basically teaches them on how to confront those who sin against us. And he says, go to them and point it out to them. He's talking about basically confronting them. And for some of us, our, our issues with people, the sins that we have experienced against people, there are opportunities to go and to confront them, to talk to them and to explain to them that they have hurt you. Uh, he goes on to explain that if this person doesn't take it seriously or blows you off, that you should take someone else with you. Uh, 
The idea is if they listen to you, you've won them over, that you can move into healing if they listen to you, that you can receive that, you can repent of that, and you can move the relationship towards reconciliation. If they don't listen to you, it says take one or two others along. And this is a place where you are pleading, basically, for this relationship to be restored. We look at this in our culture and all day, our day, and we just think, man, nobody wants to do that. I don't know about you, but confrontation, nobody enjoys confrontation. And if you do enjoy confrontation, nobody enjoys being around you a lot. Basically, because nobody likes confrontation. But at the same time, there is a reason that Jesus is telling the church to do this. And I believe it is to protect the community, to protect relationship, to keep us from allowing sin to grow in our heart towards other people, for that wound to be repaired and for remedy to take place, for healing to happen. And what we do if we don't actually bring this to light, the the fracture, the incident, the aggression, the relationship that's been broken, by not talking to the person about it, we actually aren't giving voice to our own pain. We aren't giving space for God to work miraculous relational healing. There are some relationships where you will be able to do this more naturally than others. There are some relationships where this process will be going on for quite some time. Uh, You may confront, let's say, a parent who has hurt you and they don't listen at first. And there may be a time for you to come to them with you and a sibling or you and a friend to really get through to them. What's beautiful about this is what Jesus is telling them is that when you look at the order of moving out into restoration and confronting the conflict, he's saying that, that we want the community of faith, brothers and sisters that live together in the family of God, to be able to handle relational conflict among themselves in small groups, basically one-on-one or one-on-two or three. And then if it just continues to do harm, if it gets exacerbated, there is an opportunity to bring others, your home community, your small group, your, the elders in a major way. But that is not, that is very rarely where we're wanting to go with this. We're wanting to be the kind of people who would choose to bring the insult to, to uh, light with the person who insulted us rather than so many other things that you do or I do at least, rather than talking about it all the time with other people. Can you believe this person did this to me? Uh, Rather than continually bringing judgment to them when they have wronged us, rather than, you know, creating a list in our minds of things we hold against this person. There are so many ways that we handle sin that's been done to us, 
But what Jesus is asking us to do is to recognize the humanness in both parties, to go to them, to confront them, to give them opportunity to sin, uh, to, to confess their sin, rather, and to bring reconciliation. He says, if they listen to you, you have won them over. And this is a promise that, that Jesus gives us. There is a cost in the short run, right? It costs us to confront those who hurt us. It costs us to be vulnerable with them when we are asking them to mend the relationship, to admit the wrong they've, they've caused. In the short run, Many of us don't want to pay that cost, and so we would just avoid talking to the person that's in sin or the person who has sinned against us. The problem with that is while it doesn't cost us in the short run, it may cost that brother or sister a lot in the long run. And it may cost you a lot in the long run as well. Having that relationship fractured, having uh, that person actually be um, not excommunicated from the community in this manner, in terms where the church actually kicks them out, but they, they subtly get disregarded by your friends, by that small group. People quit talking to them. P people quit uh, reaching out to them, and pretty soon they find themselves alone, but they don't know why, and they don't know what they did. That happens so many times in the communities of faith. What Jesus is asking us to do is in our own integrity, because we love this person, we're actually going to confront them and give opportunity for repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation to happen. The other thing that I love about this passage is that Christ gives us the spiritual authority to grant forgiveness. Christ has given his people this spiritual authority to forgive another person's sin through the power of Christ's sacrifice. It's not that we in and of ourselves have the authority, but that Christ grants the authority and allows for his sacrifice to be mediated through his people while we can pronounce the forgiveness of Christ on another person. That is spiritual power, the power of forgiveness. He uses this strange language saying, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And that's language uh, that's foreign to us, but it's rabbinic language. It's language that rabbis use when they were applying the law uh, and hearing uh, and judging verdicts for people. So they would declare a verdict over disputes. They would bind it. In other words, they'd forbid it or they'd loose it and permit it. Roman Catholics understand this as unique to Peter and his successors, the popes. However, during the Reformation, this teach, that teaching was rejected. And what was recovered was the true nature of this authority that Jesus is giving to his people. Jesus recovers this language and gives it to the disciples for the realm of forgiveness. Note, 
that this is incredible authority that God has given us, the authority to forgive somebody's sin. It's an incredible responsibility when we see a brother and sister in sin or see them experience them sinning against us to care for them enough to say, I want to apply the forgiveness of Christ on this person. Some of us might want to restrict this forgiveness to only sharing the gospel with non-Christians, but the application of the gospel is to any disciple, forgiving them in Christ by Christ's power and through his sacrifice is available to all of us for all people who sin against us or who are in sin. The other beautiful thing about what Christ promises here is that he promises that he is going to be with us through the process of forgiving. And when there's not repentance in the community, he's going to be with us when another believer has sinned against us. And so he says, confront the person. If they don't listen, take someone with you. If they don't listen to the two or three of you, then go to your community to confront them. Sometimes this leads to going to elders or pastors to call the person to repentance. Christ promises to be with us in this mess of forgiveness. Now, why would we go through this process? It's not because we want to bind people, right? That's, that binding thing is the thing that churches get too carried carried away with, that we want to somehow discipline the person and excommunicate them. And really the emphasis is on the loosening, the loosing of forgiveness. That is the beauty. That is, that is what Christ has given us. That is why Christ died, so that you not only would receive forgiveness yourself, but that you would be a disciple with the authority to forgive sin when it is repented of and confessed. In Matthew chapter 16 is the first place we find this binding and loosening language. In verse 19, he tells Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And in this picture, this binding and loosening is still tied to forgiveness and the picture is that the, the forgiveness that is happening in the heart of the person that's being forgiven is actually occurring in heaven itself. That the miracle of forgiveness through the blood of Christ that has occurred in heaven with the reigning Jesus, resurrected from the dead, is actually breaking into this earth in the hearts of our brothers and sisters. In John chapter 20, verse 23, Jesus says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. And what he's saying there essentially is that when people repent and turn to God for forgiveness, or they repent and turn to you for forgiveness, that Jesus is with you in the forgiveness process. And there may be times where you feel like, I don't have the forgiveness in my heart, and that, that's okay. 
Christ has plenty of forgiveness in his. And we're leaning into his forgiveness for them. Remember, we forgive just as Christ has forgiven us. And so we're going to lean into his forgiveness for them and his being with us in forgiveness that carries us through to grant forgiveness. It also means that there are spiritual forces at work in forgiveness, both in heaven and in hell. In hell. The truth is, Satan, Satan is one who will never experience forgiveness, nor does he want to experience forgiveness. All of his demonic allies will never be forgiven, nor do they want to experience forgiveness. And so what unforgiveness does in our hearts is it actually has uh, a spiritual entity to it where demonic strongholds can actually take root in our hearts where we give ourselves over to unforgiveness and we participate in Satan's rebellion and his state of unforgiveness. Satan would love nothing more than to take the body of Christ and to separate them and to isolate them and to hold them captive in unforgiveness. And so what happens in the spiritual realm when we forgive someone's sins against us or forgive someone who is in sin and is confessing it to us is that we are bringing heaven into our own hearts and loosing ourselves from that thing that happened to it. But we are also bringing heaven into their hearts and loosening heaven in them where grace and mercy is breaking in. And we are breaking, we are defeating, we are disarming the principalities and powers that would seek to hold us bound in unforgiveness. And again, when we look out at our culture today and the polarization and the hate and the anger, that has spiritual darkness behind it. It's not entirely spiritual. We're not blaming the whole thing on the devil. There is human responsibility and accountability, but don't be deceived. There is there is the, the, the God of this age, Satan himself, who would love to isolate people in unforgiveness and bring them into hell. Not, if not for eternity, then hell on earth. And he loves nothing more than isolation and hate and anger and broken relationships. And so the focus of binding is really rarely the emphasis in Scripture. In, in other words, where we take someone who is unrepentant and we kind of hand them over so that they will be disciplined and hopefully come to repentance. There's only one occasion where Paul does this in the book of Corinthians, the, in the second letter to Corinthians. We see Paul doing that. In the first letter, binding the person who is in sin and is unrepentant and saying, I've actually handed this person over for the destruction of his flesh that his soul might be saved, which is not language that I think anybody else but Paul should probably use. 
And, but at the same time, in the second letter to the church of Corinthian, we see him loosing forgiveness on this person. He says, whatever you forgive, I forgive also. He's acknowledging the spiritual authority of the community to forgive this person. And he's standing in it with them. And so what we are wanting to emphasize isn't binding people up, but is in loosing forgiveness releasing forgiveness, letting the Holy Spirit release your own heart to forgive and also to release grace and mercy and healing for people. The, the other thing that I want to note is that Christ's grace is limitless. And he expects us to extend the grace that we have received. He wants us to extend that to those who sin against us. And I know last week we talked about the fact that there are people and circumstances where we will never get to reconciliation. And yet at the same time, even imperfect forgiveness still frees us up. But there's also a place where we get tired of forgiving people. And we want to quantify it, make it measurable. Like, I feel like I've forgiven this person enough, Jesus. Do you know that person? Like, we all have somebody or someone or something that comes to our mind where we've just said, I have, I have gone the distance. I should be free from having to continue to forgive this person. Peter asked that after this little conversation on forgiveness with Jesus. He says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? I love that. <laughs> seven, that seems like a godly number. That's a Bible number. Uh, how many times do I forgive this person who sins against me? Like seven times? And Jesus says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who went, wanted to settle accounts. And Jesus goes on to tell this story of a king who was owed by a servant and essentially owed him 10,000 bags of gold. In today's numbers, it would be $500 million that this person owed the king. And since he wasn't able to pay the master order that he and his wife and his children be held and sold to repay the debt. But the servant fell on his knees before him and said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him and he canceled the debt and he let him go. And so I don't know, uh, I don't know what that experience would be like, but if you owed half a million dollars to someone and they said, hey, we're good, I'm canceling that. My guess would be you would have a little bit of gratitude in your heart. Uh, there would be a huge weight that fell off. And so here's this person who has received this massive debt relieved. And the king says, I will, just, I will just cancel that debt. And the servant goes out and he finds one of his fellow servants who owes him a hundred silver coins, and that would probably be about 15 grand in today's language. 
And he grabs him and he beats him and he chokes him and he says, pay back what you owe. And this guy falls on his knees and begs him and says, be patient with me. I'll pay it back. But he refuses to listen. He throws the man in prison until he could pay the debt. And, uh, and here these other servants are looking on. And they're watching this man who'd just been forgiven a half a billion dollar debt start to beat up a guy who owes him 15 grand. And they go back outraged and tell their master everything. And he calls that servant back and says, you're a wicked servant. I canceled all the debts because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on that fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, his master handed him over to jailers to be tortured until he should pay all that he owed. Then Jesus gives us this scary warning. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. And what I want you to hear, brothers and sisters, today is not this condemning danger. I want you to hear how serious Jesus takes forgiveness. How important it is to him that when you look out at your fellow brother or sister who bears the image of God, who has been loved by God so much that if they were the only person on earth, Christ would come down and die for them, even as they are sinners. God has forgiven us for so much, things that we can't even account for, things that we don't even know, that our debt to God is like a half a billion dollars. And our injury from this other person is like a handful of cash. And yet God has shown us mercy over and over and over again. We need Christ to be with us because we need his grace, his unlimited grace to flow through us in our relationships with other people. I would love it if he said, you know what, Peter, seven times, that's more than enough. After that, cut him off. But he doesn't. And how thankful I am that God didn't have a limit on how many times he'd forgive me. Because if it was seven, I wouldn't have made it out of the first day of my walk with Jesus, right? So uh, we have all banked on the limitless grace and mercy of God time and time and time again. And yet when it comes to somebody who sins against us, we, are, we have a scarcity mindset, not an abundance mindset. I don't have an abundance of grace for this person. And again, I am not talking about people who are doing you harm, people who have abused you. Uh, you need distance from those people. Do not let them repeatedly harm you. But that we would have to forgive in a number of relationships over and over and over again as part of what it means to be sinners in relationship. What Jesus invites us to is that because his grace is limitless, 
He expects us to lean into that grace so that we can extend that limitless grace to others who have sinned against us. Brothers and sisters, if you could just imagine for a moment what your family would be like if you lived this out, what your church would be like, what your business would be look like, like think about the places where relationships are happening and often strain. What would it be like if rather than gossiping about that one person at work, you actually just confronted them? They might not even know they've done what they've done to you. But rather than going and telling everybody else about it, you confront them. Make opportunity for, for Christ's grace to show up in their life. To forgive them, even if they're not a believer, they can experience the power of heaven breaking into their life through your forgiveness. I would also say we need to be people who are open to others coming to us, to confronting us, because we know we sin against other people as well. And not to be so put off, not to be the kind of people who are saying, no, I don't want anything to do with it, but we would be recipients of that, that there would be grace enough that you could show yourself that you don't always have to be in a defensive mode, but you can actually hear, oh man, I have hurt this person. That I could actually confess that I am so sorry. Please forgive me. I can repent of that. I want to change and I want to change the things that caused that hurt in the first place. This is how we grow together as the body of Christ into maturity of Christ. And so just let me summarize where we've been today. Our concern here is on our own forgiving of those who sinned against us. And what I want you to hear is that you have been given authority by Christ to forgive those through Christ's power and sacrifice, that you are not leaning into your own very limited reserves of grace, but we are, limited, we are leaning into the unlimited grace of Jesus. And so when we are standing in our authority in Christ, forgiving, we're also leaning into his power and sacrifice to grant forgiveness in Jesus' name. Secondly, we are given that authority to pronounce forgiveness to another and to loose heaven, to release heaven onto somebody's heart and life, into a relationship that has been fractured. Men, women, you have authority that you know nothing of. Jesus wants us to be those who release forgiveness into the world. And what we forgive on earth is forgiven in heaven. Like that is miraculous. That is how earth gets healed. That is how heaven gets brought down. That is how the kingdom shows up and is displayed in real time, in real relationships. And the fourth thing that I want us to understand is that when we remain in unforgiveness, 
That is something that Satan desires for you, and it is a demonic tactic to keep you in spiritual strongholds and in unfreedom. And so just think about that as you can even wrestle with places right now where you know there's unforgiveness in your heart and it feels good to stay in unforgiveness. Just know that if you remain there, that you are doing something that Satan wants you to do as one who will never be forgiven. And we are opening ourselves up to spiritual strongholds and giving away freedom in our life for Satan to take a stance. Now, why would we do that? If the amount of grace that Christ has for those who sin is limitless. Why would we stay in unforgiveness if the grace that Christ has is limitless? And he asks us and sends us to model that graciousness, to be a conduit releasing forgiveness and grace to others. Brothers and sisters, Jesus wants us to live in freedom. And a big piece of that freedom happens right here. When we're forgiven by Christ and we take that limitless grace and forgive others in Christ's power and in his name. Amen.